Hi, I'm Antonia, and I'm a midwife. Hi, I'm Micah, and I'm a midwife. Hi, I'm Jane, I'm a midwife. Hi, I'm Savannah, a student midwife. Hi, I'm Lucy, and I'm a midwifery support worker. Hello, my name's Gulbano, and I'm a midwife. Hi, I'm Abby, and I'm a Hello and you're very welcome to the first in a brand new series of podcasts from the Royal College of Midwives. I'm Gemma and every month across 2021, I'll be bringing you a brand new episode where we'll discuss the issues that matter most to our members. During the series, I'll be sitting down catching up with RCM members of staff who work behind the scenes in developing materials such as clinical guidance and initiatives for RCM members. I'm also really looking forward to hearing from midwives and maternity support workers about their own experiences and the realities they face day to day. I know maternity staff have never been so busy and the pressures of this pandemic are immense, but I hope this series is one that you have time to take a break to, listen to in the staff room or in your own spare time, or something you can press the play button on on your commute to work. In this first episode, we're going to discuss the midwife's role in supporting women with severe and multiple disadvantage. In late 2020, the RCM published a new position statement on this. We know that COVID-19 has had a huge impact on women and domestic violence has dramatically increased. Rates of substance abuse are on the rise and homelessness is becoming more and more prevalent. This does mean midwives and maternity support workers will be seeing a larger proportion of women who are experiencing much more complex issues. So later in the episode, I'm going to catch up with two safeguarding midwives, Wendy and Flora, who work in this area for some more insight on what they're experiencing day to day. But for now, I'm joined by Claire Livingston, a professional policy advisor at the RCM, and Charlotte Wilson, one of our policy team members who were instrumental in developing our first position statement on this. Hi, Claire. How are you today? Oh, good morning, Gemma. Can I ask you, what was the idea behind developing this position statement at the time last year? Well, we're aware at the RCM of some really excellent examples of practice where teams of midwives are supported to give really great care to the women they're looking after. And we know that it makes a real difference. Put simply, early and enhanced care prevents problems from occurring further down the line But what we do know is that this is variable, the picture is variable, and there are different levels of service seen in different areas. Unfortunately, there's a significant health equality gap, and all the evidence shows that women from deprived backgrounds are more likely to suffer from poor outcomes. And those include premature birth, stillbirth, low birth weight, and a range of other health complexities and and complications. So for a long time, The RCM has supported members with online training and coordinated work on subjects such as domestic violence and mental health and homelessness. However, we felt that a position statement would be a call to action and we want women to receive this level of support wherever they live if they need it. Right, that that seems to make a lot of sense. I'm going to bring Charlotte in. Charlotte, you lead on our policy um, development work at the Royal College of Midwives. What exactly is a position statement, particularly one that's uh, driven by the RCM? What's the purpose of publishing a position statement? 
So the purpose of a position statement, we develop then so we can ensure that the position we take on certain complex issues is supported by evidence and informed by experts. Once the position is established, we can also use it as a building block to support lobbying work or even to launch a campaign. So it's very much the first step in a, in a process of trying to achieve positive change. It's also a useful tool for partner organisations to quickly establish our official position on issues that might impact them as well. Claire, just, just to go back to what you said that, you know, you've touched on the fact that the RCM has worked on lots of issues around domestic violence, mental health, homelessness. But what exactly causes women to experience multiple and severe disadvantage in pregnancy? There are multiple causes uh, and complex reasons that cause severe and multiple disadvantage. One could be adverse childhood experience, poor mental health, um, someone experiencing uh, financial difficulties and hardship, housing issues, is the very current one, um, overcrowding and social isolation. Sadly, but we're seeing a perfect storm now, spiralling numbers of families being plunged into hardship due to the pandemic. So this makes the work all the more critical. Absolutely. And in terms of midwives training, uh, is this built into to, to general training to become a midwife? Or is this something that midwives and maternity staff need to specialise in as, as they go through their career? There are different levels of specialism. So all midwives are competent um, on qualification at looking after women with multiple needs and disadvantage. But clearly there is a specialism too um, and a high degree of skill required for looking after some women and making sure that they receive appropriate care. And that can involve referrals onto other agencies Um, And a lot of knowledge is required. Claire, you mentioned a a high level of skill. I imagine it's a high level of time is also needed to enable midwives to really support the most vulnerable women that they're seeing in their services. They do. And continuity of care, which has been found to improve outcomes, especially for this group of women, requires sufficient numbers of midwives to operate effectively. Midwives need to be able to work flexibly and to to organise their work around women and their needs. So, yes, more time is required, particularly for this group of women. And in the position statement, you know, the RCM asked and, and called for midwives to have the their own autonomy and flexibility to support these women, at least. How, how difficult is that in the current climate of this pandemic that we're dealing with, but also the, the, the acute midwife shortages across the UK. You know, we, we know that services are, are short the amount of staff they need to deliver safe care to women. And is this a concern in terms of the work that you're doing that the most vulnerable women may fall through the gaps? We have a shortage of midwives um, and that does impact on the quality of care that they are able to provide. We're also aware that the the workforce at the moment is very stressed and and overtired. They're fatigued beyond anything we've ever experienced. So we must take care of our midwives to enable them to provide the care that these women need and to avoid them burning out. Absolutely. So within the position statement, you know, we lay out our kind of calls to action, but I'm going to bring Charlotte in and ask, Charlotte, is there a specific policy change that needs that's needed to, to basically drive this change forward? 
as Claire has already alluded to, the policy changes needed to ensure midwives are equipped to support women who are experiencing severe and multiple disadvantage. They're both general and specific. As Claire has said, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that excellent midwifery care can, in, in and of itself can reduce the instance of poor outcomes for women and their babies who are women who are experiencing severe and multiple disadvantage. But at the moment, more often than not, midwives just don't have the resources or support necessary to deliver the level of care that would achieve those better outcomes. So generally, to support excellent mid midwifery care, we need to see greater investment in maternity services, and that includes better pay and support for midwives. So that's the more general policy change, but we also do need to see specific changes, which we've set out in the statement. When caring for women with complex issues, uh, as you said, midwives need additional time. They need autonomy and flexibility so they can structure their appointments around the needs of the woman. They need support navigating services like access to charities and social services because obviously midwives, they have a, a specific job to do and um, it does often get taken up a lot with uh, sort of administrative work. They also need appropriate training and in addition to appropriate training, they need time to do that training because at the moment they... There is no point in delivering a, a suite of brilliant training programs for midwives when they don't have the time to actually engage with that training. They also need support to deliver continuity of care. At the moment, continuity of care has been rolled out and it's been rolled out in circumstances where midwives don't necessarily have the capacity to deliver it and more work needs to go into ensuring that the models of continuity that are being delivered are the best models for women and for midwives and midwives also need security and just of course to go back to the first one all of these require additional investment in maternity services. Thanks Charlotte. In terms of collaborating is the RCM currently collaborating with anybody on this type of work? Yes uh, so we have this this piece of work was inspired a little by a, um, a publication by Birth Companions and Birthrights jointly on severe and multiple disadvantage and women and midwives experience and we also had a member of Birth Companions on our steering group uh, who contributed to this document. Our Birth Companions member brought a wealth of experience and also a service user's experience to, to the document. So we are continuing to cooperate with organisations like Birth Companions um, and we inform each other on various different issues and learnings to better both our work. So Claire, we've talked about the, the various types of disadvantages and how they impact on, on a woman seeking maternity care within NHS maternity services. Could you tell me a little bit more about the problems that they may encounter? Well, there are challenges and the Maternity Transformation Programme has recognised that tackling inequalities is a priority. And we know that these disadvantages do impact on women's ability to access and engage with care. And it might be as a result of trauma that some women distrust professionals. It could be that women on very low incomes cannot afford to eat healthily or that their homes are unsafe places to live. If a woman is homeless, she may need to be moved to a different area, which will disrupt her midwifery care um, and leaving her without adequate support. So that all of these issues are, are relevant to 
the level of care that women receive. And midwives, if they're able to work flexibly and autonomously, can wrap around women and provide a care that matches their needs. We have heard many stories across the pandemic that midwives and, and maternity support workers are going above and beyond, you know, calling women who have not maybe missed an appointment and they're really ensuring that they don't fall out of connection with the service, which is really vital, especially for those that are most vulnerable. delighted to be joined on the first podcast by Flora Purchase, who's a senior midwife at Lewisham and Greenwich NHS Trust in London, but she's also the team leader for the Best Beginnings team. Flora, how are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me and to take part on the first podcast, which is very exciting. Oh, we're delighted. How are you all doing in Lewisham and Greenwich at the moment? Are you coping with the pandemic and the pressures that that's bringing? Um, Yes, I mean, like every other trust, we are going through very, very difficult times, but we are managing at the moment and uh, we are managing to keep our heads above the water. So I'm supporting women. Fantastic. Can I ask how long have you worked, Flora, as a midwife? God, I qualified in 2003. So that's quite a long time. So, um, yeah, so 2003 with well, at the time, it used to be Queen Elizabeth Hospital. Now it's at Lewisham and Greenwich NHS Trust. But part of Best Beginnings, I've been. Uh, we started Best Beginnings in 2006, and I was, we, I was one of the midwives who actually set up the Best Beginnings team in 2006. So yeah, fantastic. And 14 late years later, it's still going strong. It's incredible. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of the team, and I'm proud of what we've achieved so far. So yeah. Brilliant. How more prevalent has supporting women with severe and multiple disadvantage come over the years, but really, I guess, over the last year? But I imagine that it's been a lot busier for you in more recent years. Absolutely. Yes, you're right. I mean, um, when we started, obviously, uh, there's always been women who there have been families who require extra help during pregnancy. And I remember as a student, when I first qualified, there was always women and families who needed us, but we didn't really have anything, you know, any sort of uh, team of midwives or health visitors that we could re- refer. And then in 2006, a Greenwich Council came up with the idea that that Greenwich is a quite disadvantaged area, and they need we needed someone to lead a, a project where to support these women. So um, in 2006, we, we started this team of midwives and we put together um, uh, supporting services, a team of, of, of people who can who support these um, families. And then obviously it's been a challenge. It's been a challenge and it's, it's like learning to walk. You know, yes, we are midwives and we, we support women day in, day out. However, when you have mums, obviously pregnancy is vulnerable time, but all mothers out there but when you have other concerning issues or other sort of dis, uh, disadvantages then it makes you even more vulnerable and yes it's it's um it's been a challenge but um we are a team and uh, we we are managing and uh, especially this in during pandemic of course the vulnerability on women is it's much much higher and we see more and more women who are needing our help who are needing our input and um, it's it's hard, but uh, we are uh, doing our best to support them. 
Well, you've really navigated the challenges really well because the team is 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 still going all these years later. But how easy, or I mean, or how difficult at least is it to support women who need more specialist care and more time with midwives when there simply aren't always enough midwives? I always say we are so lucky that we are part of this team. We're so lucky in our trust that we've got teams like Best Beginnings because we are dedicated. Our role is to support these mums. And the main the main challenge is time for women. And that's what we have. In Best Beginnings, we have time for women. So part of our role is to give women as much time as possible. So we there are being they, we are able to listen to them, listen to their worries, listen to their the concerns and identify challenges and escalate and we have time to refer and to ask other professionals for their help and their support so um at the end of the day we are midwives we know i'm not a mental health worker i'm not a social worker i've got my own role but the the part of my role is to collaborate and work with other professionals and that we have time for that and i do feel sorry for other midwives who haven't got the time and they haven't got an opportunity to to provide that service and it's a it's a challenge. I know I, I I've spoken to so many midwives over years regarding this, and their main main concern is I don't have time. We don't have time to support mums, and you know. But we are lucky in best beginnings that we do have time. Obviously, you're a professional. You're a professional midwife. You have years and years of experience in midwifery. But the pressures and the t- challenges and and what you hear and how you have to cope day to day. Is that difficult for you on a personal level, you know, not to bring your work home with you or to separate your day from your, your downtime? How do you cope? God, yes, that's a that's a good question. Um, it is a challenge, you know, because we are mothers ourselves, we're women ourselves, you know, and when you see women going through really difficult time or they've experienced some, some really terrible uh, times and it's so hard that it tries to switch off and... Um, separate that from from taking taking that that burden that information with us home but we are lucky in view that we are a big big team it's it's about 10 of us in this team mm-hmm. and we are very close as a team and we, we we talk to each other a lot and we we debrief each other in addition we also have psychology input recently we've been offered a psychology input from our perinatal mental health team in Greenwich and Bexley and we have um we, we used to have a once a month pre-COVID, <laughs> but um, since we have less than that, but still that's quite, um, it's a it's a protected time for us where we can discuss any difficult case, anything that's affecting us personally, that we can debrief, we can be counselled, and um, they give us um, sort of a, a tips about how we manage this and how we separate uh, work and um, life. I want to talk to you all day, but we're going to run out of time. So I really wanted to ask you, with all your many years of experience for newly qualified midwives or student midwives, it must be a really challenging time to be a new midwife or enter service, particularly since the pandemic started. Do you have any nuggets of advice or wisdom that you'd like to share? Yes. I mean, it's again, I I must say it's it's not, you know, it's a very challenging time. And I, I feel for new qualified midwives and student midwives coming through. But my advice would be is that please don't don't hesitate, don't be anxious about asking women about what their concerns are and what they require. Don't feel like 
I'm I'm not um, ready for to answer the questions. I'm not ready to listen because I don't know the answers. None of us have got. We I don't always have the answers, but it's important that we listen to the women. Oh, really, really wise words. And I think the you know the advice about listening is particularly important if you're a woman because if you're listening to a woman, I guess you can deliver more personalised care, and that can be probably more you know clinically satisfying as a midwife for you. Absolutely. And if you listen, women more likely to um, to talk when you are busy doing other things. We had women before when they said, but the midwife I saw previously, she was lovely, but she was, she just looked so busy. She was always writing and I just didn't feel like I could say something. And it, it prevents women asking for help. Um, so it's important to listen. I think that's the main, I mean, we know communication is a key, but Listening, I think part of communication listening is, is so important. And then women will trust you and women will more likely to ask for help. So, yes, definitely. Listening right. is, is it's a key to everything. <laughs> Amazing. That's excellent advice. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Flora? No, thank you so much. I mean, this is fantastic because um, this will show that um, there are teams out there. They, they support women and hopefully encourage more and more midwives and more maternity units to, um, to put something like this in place. So I have the pleasure of Wendy Warrington from Pennine Care NHS Foundation Trust joining me on this very first podcast for the Royal College of Midwives. How are you, Wendy? I'm good, thanks. Hope you're well too. I'm good. I'm, I'm delighted to talk to you. I mean, it's, it really puts things in perspective speaking to our members that are, are working on the front line. And you've worked for a long, long time as a midwife in, in various different roles. But how long? Or when did your midwifery career begin? Um, I started my midwifery uh, training in um, uh, 1992. I qualified in 1994, so um, a good few years ago. I was one of the first. I was the first um, diploma midwife, so completed the, the the diploma, which with two young children was quite challenging, I can say. But I did, and from then on, my career um, has been within midwifery, from the hospital to the community. I managed the antenatal ward. I've had periods where I've worked within a criminal justice setting as a criminal justice uh, drugs nurse, but I had the midwife liaison role in that. And I've also set up two successful projects which have been rolled out, have been rolled out across Greater Manchester. One which is the Strengthening Families Programme, working with women who have had children uh, repeatedly removed to break that cycle. So I'm currently working within uh, safeguarding, but I still have an active interest, obviously, within in terms of midwifery. I still bank as a midwife and I still advise and sit uh, on the working groups or an advisory role. And I've just had um, the article recently printed in the the Royal College of Midwives Midwives magazine. And I also work regularly pandemic uh, allowing I speak to student uh, midwives around uh, the role of specialist midwife and around working with women with uh, vulnerabilities and uh, multiple disadvantage within both uh, the, within the universities of Manchester and Salford. Wow you have an incredible amount of experience and I, that's interesting that you're going into universities and into student midwives on their courses at the very early stages of their career and training, talking to them about the importance of this. Because I guess when, when when you look at it kind of from a more broader point of view, it does all come down to kind of personalised care. You know, every woman's different, every woman's experiencing different issues and problems. 
But I, I wonder, and, and I worry sometimes, do midwives, are there enough midwives? And, and you know, we, we know there's, there, there's shortages all around the country, but do midwives struggle themselves to have enough time to really sit down and listen to women? That must be difficult. Absolutely. And and there, there uh, in lies the, the issue because there is um, the, like the KPIs, the key performance indicators that, they need to, that women um, need to be seen by 12 weeks, otherwise targets aren't reached. Then it's about the, about the time of that booking. And if you're seeing a woman, 30 minutes to 45 minutes is not enough time for you to be able to elicit that information and to get a really good picture of, what, of what's going on. So therefore, for me, it's more about the autonomy and uh, having the being allowed to, to um, I don't like using the term allowed, but having, I think the word is autonomy, that that you can follow follow this up. And that, for me, is absolutely key. And what we've got to remember at this time of the pandemic right now is, is that we have got midwives. So not only have we got a national shortage of midwives, but we've also got those that um, may be um, isolating. We've got those that may be shielding. So therefore, those that are out there on the front line are actually picking up the slack, unfortunately, for those people that aren't there. So just to do the actual very basics of midwifery is a challenge, let alone supporting those women who have multiple disadvantages and vulnerabilities. And for me, I think although all the midwives should, and that's why I welcome the universities really taking it on board and inviting people like myself to come in to speak about this and recognising that so that the students that are coming through, for me, I think that there is, um, the key for me is, is that you do have specialist midwives who have the time potentially because of the caseloads to put into these that are deemed the most vulnerable, but however to support other midwives. But do I think that that's the actual, the right answer? Not necessarily, because I do feel that every midwife should be equipped should be skilled, should have the knowledge, should have the tools to be able to, to support the women in their care without it having to be escalated, if you will, to a specialist, mid, specialist midwife. There are the, the group of women that are extremely difficult to engage. So um, having that continuity model, I think, is key. And we're seeing that we've got the, the, the continuity model is, is, being, is being rolled out. And we've also, if you look at the research and the evidence, what they're saying is, is that women who have that continuity, who have um, vulnerabilities, um, who have that um, experience their extreme disadvantage, actually do better and there's better outcomes for themselves and the babies by having that continuity of carer. And because you've got to as well remember that we don't want women telling the story how many times over. So it also comes about, you know, hold who's got that information. And it could be who is the person who is key in pulling together all that wraparound support for that person. I feel that that is the midwife. And as I say, as somebody who has um, been in the specialist midwife role, I, I also firmly believe, though, that all our midwives should have the skills and the autonomy to be able to support women that they that come in, that, co- that they come across um, d- during their uh, the work. 
It's interesting you keep using the word autonomy. And when we launched this position statement in late November last year, that's what the RCM called for. They called for more autonomy and flexibility for midwives to enable them to spend time with women, to really support them, you know, in various settings. But I wanted to ask you as well, because we spoke about, you know, appointments and how they've gone virtual before this interview. And I guess there's for safeguarding women, is that difficult, you know, if you're not seeing a woman face to face? And obviously, I know with the current restrictions, it's, it's not as straightforward as that. But does that make your job more difficult? Absolutely. In terms of when you uh, undertake um, a home visit, that paints a picture that can be very different from the, the, the picture that's portrayed of somebody that you meet in, in an antenatal clinic, for example. And for me, the home also gives an indication what's going on behind the scenes and helps to build that picture. And as we know, in the current situation, it's very, it's, it's very, it's very difficult. But there are those midwives um, out there who do put the head above the parapet and who actually will don the full PPE and will will go out there to engage these women. Mm. And again, it can't happen for everybody. And I think sometimes it, it's about identifying those that you think are really like at, at, that, at that higher level or require more input. However, we do know some of these women because they could be coming, coming back through um, maternity services. So there is a history or a pattern but it's the new ones that we don't know about. And they're the ones that I, I have a concern about. And this is where it comes in about that, that multi-agency, that multi-agency approach of us all working together and sharing that information. Because I think it's, for me, it's key that we share information so that we can build up a picture how to support women and families. And the other thing, the knock-on effect, um, feel is is that with their agencies as they are and having the meetings virtually is that in terms of doing that support and not having it face to face is is that um it can really put um women and families on the back foot in terms of not having that that human contact if you will not being in in that same room and again we understand that it's it's covid and there's the, the there's the pandemic and how to manage that but i firmly believe that the impact will follow following when they look back on 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 this period will will be quite evident and we're already seeing you touched about safeguarding is is that we've seen the increase in um domestic violence and abuse and while they're talking about the increases and we know in pregnancy that domestic violence and abuse there might have been things already going on but that actually that it, it, it actually becomes um, most evident when a woman becomes pregnant in terms of coercive control so the things that, that, that we're being uh, notified of is actually that things that may have gone under the radar now that we're seeing that the more significant. I really appreciate your time and those words of wisdom, Wendy, will definitely resonate with people listening to this podcast, our midwives, particularly newly qualified midwives as well. Thanks for taking the time to join us on the first uh, RCM podcast. And that's it for the first ever RCM podcast. Join us next month where we'll be taking a look at the RCM's Caring For You campaign and how that's never been more important for our members in the current climate.